Amen. All right. I want you to notice. Let's go ahead and read the first three verses before we get started. It says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, what am I going to do with that, folks? All right. And I hate to even bring this up because you guys all know this like the back of your hand. But we're doing a Bible study through the book of Genesis. We've got to cover this. All right. We've got to cover this right now. And I know it's like teaching, you know, it's like teaching a bunch of, you know, uh, mathematicians, you know, in high level college, you know, one plus one in this church. But we're going to we're going to cover it. So, you know, you all know it. But what I want to talk about tonight, you know, is, is who is Abraham's seed. But and, and I know you know this, but I'm hoping I can at least give you some extra ammo on some of this stuff tonight. And then there are there is more in this passage beside verses one through three. But most people today, and I am not uh, exaggerating, I am not misrepresenting when I say that most Christians today, not even just most Baptists or dispensationalists, Christians today, they will take verses one through three and they will apply it to physical Israel today. They will tell us we need to bless Israel. If you don't believe me too, they're still saying this. Just go listen to uh, Brother Paul's program that he does calling random pastors when they ask them what their position is on Israel. And they're always saying, we need to support Israel. We can't do enough to support Israel. I've listened to preachers over and over again talk about Richard Nixon when he was in office and how there, uh, there was a conflict going on in Israel and Israel needed help. And, you know, Nixon... He told his men, you know, whatever they ask you for, as far as financially, wherever they need help, whatever they ask you for, double it. And I know there's a lot of scandals and things, you know, when it involved Dixon, you know, when it involved Nixon, but you know, I just can't help but think that God put him in office at that time for such a time as this. And they're saying the same thing about Trump right now, too. You know, they're saying about Trump, you know, thank God Trump's in office, because if it weren't for Trump, the U.S. Embassy would not be in Jerusalem. You know how much that just helps Jerusalem? And let me tell you what that means, all right? Can I just help you out here? Here's what it means, us moving our embassy to Jerusalem. It tells the world that we have sided with Israel when it comes to the Israeli occupation of Palestinian territory. It's us just saying we're on their side. We believe they have legitimate claim to that land that... They are occupying, okay? Kind of like when we go and we're occupying Iraq. Was that our land? You know, was any Americans dumb enough to think that Iraq was now a part of the United States and it was our country and that that land belonged to us while we were occupying parts of Iraq? That's what Israel's doing in Palestine right now. But people will say, well, it doesn't matter. It does belong to them. God promised it to Abraham and his seed. And God promised He's going to bless them that bless you and curse you that curse you. And we've got to be a blessing to Israel. And that is ridiculous. That is, that is so false on so many levels. And you all know where it is, but we've got to cover it. Go ahead and go over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> this, is, this is a forbidden passage of the Bible, apparently, that you can't find any dispensationalist that will preach on these passages. I've still yet to find a dispensationalist expound on these passages. 
I've yet to hear, as, as much as we have thrown these chapters 3 and 4 in their face, I have yet to hear a dispensationalist get up and say, let's go through Galatians 3 and 4, verse by verse, and let's sh- show everyone where them stinking replacement theology people are wrong. I've yet to hear anybody do that. I mean, you know, what do I do when the Calvinists are all going crazy with Romans 9? I, I want to preach on Romans 9. Let's go to Romans 9. That's what I do. But, you know, you'd think the dispensationalists, since we're constantly winning people over through Galatians 3 and 4, it's Galatians 3 and 4 that won me over on this subject. You would think that somebody would step up and say, you know what, enough is enough. We've got to take that passage away from them new IFBers. You know what, I'm going to tell you what it is, but they won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. You know why? Because Galatians 3 lays it out too clear. There's, it, it's not something that we just interpret our own way. No, it lays these things out for us. And let's start in verse 13. It says, uh, well, we'll start in verse 6. All right? uh, verse 6, it says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Notice Galatians, the apostle Paul, he said that the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen. You know what that means? It means the Gentiles weren't plan B. The scriptures, Genesis, knew that God was going to go to the Gentiles and the scriptures, it, it, it says it, uh, the gospel was preached to Abraham. Right. Well, I don't see where the gospel was preached. I don't see the death, burial, and resurrection in Genesis chapter 12. I don't see the death, burial, and resurrection. you got to have death, burial, and resurrection. No, because it, it says right here, the apostle Paul said, the gospel was preached when it was said, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. It doesn't say death, burial, and resurrection. But what do you think he's talking about? Okay, that, Who do you think the seed was? And in case you're not sure, stick around in Galatians 3. You'll see it was Jesus Christ. The seed was Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, all the nations of the earth have been blessed because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth. People from all over the world, from every nation, have been saved and have been blessed through Jesus Christ, Abraham's seed. Jesus Christ descended from Abraham. So, yes, that was him preaching the gospel. If they, if Abraham believed in that seed, even though he didn't know the details that we know today, he believed in Jesus Christ. If he believed in the promise that all the nations would be blessed through that seed, even though he did not have knowledge yet of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he was believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Okay? There's, no, there's no doubt about that. But yet, you know, they, they'll just ignore that. And then they'll say, you know, there's multiple gospels in the Bible. But yet we see the same gospel that was preached, that Paul preached in Galatians, was being preached in Genesis chapter 12. To Abraham, there's no doubt about that. This isn't even up to interpretation. This isn't up to. This is an opinion. This is just what the Bible flat out says. That's all. That's all there is to it. So the blessing is something God knew would go to the Gentiles, but not all Gentiles because they must be a faith like Abraham. Not all. Because and notice, 
when this was said to Abraham, or in Galatians 3 here, when he's talking about how you know these things were going to go to the Gentiles, does it mean all Gentiles would be saved? No, that's not what it means. Okay? Because not all Gentiles are of faith. And just like the people of Israel, okay, the physical people, the physical descendants of Abraham until Christ were the people of God, were all of them Abraham's seed spiritually? No, they were not. You know why? Because not all of them were of faith. But many of them were of faith. And so they, uh, you know, they, uh, that blessing, it applied to them. And they're still going to inherit it because one of these days they're going to be in heaven. There's a resurrection that's coming. So Gentiles must be of faith like Abraham. Okay? This didn't just go to all Gentiles. The Gentiles are not the, now the chosen people instead of the Jews. No, the chosen people are just the people of faith like Abraham. Which is what it always was. It was just it was something that was hidden. Verse thirteen says, "Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree." Okay, now, why did it bring that up? Because the Bible says, "Cursed is everyone who continueth not in all things." Anyone who has broken any of the Old Testament law of God is cursed and on their way to hell. And every Jew who ever lived broke one of those laws, except for Jesus Christ. And we have too. But Christ has redeemed us from that. Because again, like I talked about last week, there never was a righteous people. There never was a righteous race. They all had gone out of the way. They had all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, folks, there's no doubt that this blessing is the one that it's been talking about in Genesis chapter 12 that we just read. But are any of us in here dumb enough to say that if you're a Gentile today, anyone who blesses you is going to be blessed. Anyone who curses you is going to be cursed. If you're any Gentile, because the Bible says it went to the Gentiles. That's what, that's what it says right there. So if you're a Gentile today, you're the chosen people. No, it's crystal clear from this, and it's going to become even more clear that it's those who are of faith. Okay? It's those who are of faith, which is what it always was. So it says in verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Okay? I, I don't know what else to say about that. I, I, got, I got no commentary. On that verse. Y'all understand that? I don't, you don't need a commentary to understand Galatians 3.16. Just like you don't need a commentary to understand John 3.16. It, it speaks for itself. And this verse speaks for itself. I have, I have no words. I have no commentary to add to that. I'm just going, here, here's my commentary. I'm just going to say this. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith, not in the seeds as many, but as of one, to thy seed which is Christ. You can't say it any better. I can't think of a way to make it more clear. So verse, but yet people will go to Genesis 12 and they'll say it's talking about the Jews. You know, I get it when the charismatics are saying it, but when the Baptists are saying that, then you know what you're doing? You're just repeating a bunch of women that you listen to on television. You listen to a bunch of, you're, you're poly parroting women preachers on the Christian station. That's ridiculous. Verse 70, and this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, 
It is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, what does he mean by that? If the inheritance be of the law, what would that mean? Well, that would mean if you are Abraham's son by law, it would go to you, right? If the promise, because people always say, you got a thing you got to understand about these covenants. There's unconditional ones. The promise to Israel was unconditional. Okay, I get that. But you all understand that the promises, okay, the promises were not to the children of the law because we just read in Galatians 3, you're cursed if you continue not in all things. That means they were all cursed. Okay? But those who are of faith, they're the ones who got the promise. They're the ones that it was talking about. So the thing is, if you today go and you point out a Jew and you say, this guy's a Jew because of where he descends from physically, you are saying he is a Jew by the law. Therefore, the promise does not apply to him. You know why? Because that Jew is a sinner. So if, he, if the promise, if the land belongs to them, then it would be because they were of faith. It would be because they were in Christ. The, the children of Israel have no claim to that land. The reason Donald Trump did what he did, he was pandering to the conservatives. He's pa- pandering to the Republican base. But you think Donald Trump really gives a rip about that? Well, I'm sorry. He does care. I just heard him say this week, he's probably the least anti-Semitic person in the world. He said that this week. So, I, I, you know, I'm sure, I guess he does care. He's the, most, he's, he's the best at everything in the world, if you ask him. But, folks, that's, just, that's, that's dumb. We listened to John Hagee when they were opening that embassy, getting up and quoting that verse. Baptist preachers were getting all excited, and they're tweeting that verse, Genesis chapter 12, and they, are, you know, they get mad at us, call us replacement theology people, while they replace Jesus Christ with a physical people. They have no claim. That land was given to Abraham and his children by promise. And if it is of the law, it is no more promise. They have no claim to that land. None whatsoever. Now, they do to a certain extent because to the victors go the spoils. Y'all understand that? You know why I, I would say they have some right to the land? Because they beat the Palestinians for the most part. You know, that's the way it goes. You know, and you say, well, are you okay with that? Oh, not really, but you know, I can't say too much against her. I'll look like a hypocrite because how did we get this land that we're in today? You know, the Indians had it way before we did. But to the victors go the spoils, all right? We won. I wasn't there. Don't get mad at me. I wasn't there. Uh, you know, I apologize for our forefathers, but you know, I'm glad I'm not in Europe. I'll say that right now. I'm glad I'm not in Europe. Uh, and maybe we maybe we owe the Indians reparations, you know, for all that we did to them. You know, we are still benefiting from it because we're not in Europe. Thank, thank God for that. But I need to, I need to get off of that. But anyway, I'll get myself in tr- even more trouble. But it says in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ. Then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I got no commentary on that either. That that passage says it so clear. And I show you that because we're going through Genesis chapter 12. And I have to cover this because 
your typical dispensational Baptist will go to Genesis 12. This is his, their go-to passage to prove the land belongs to Israel. And I've, I've listened to many preachers preach about Israel and, and supporting Israel, and they often start their sermon out with Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and ignore Galatians 3 and 4. That's wrong. That's out of line. Folks, when I read Genesis 12, 3, you know what? I claim that promise for myself because I am Abraham's seed. I dare you to tell me that I'm not. I, I dare you to tell me that I can't claim this promise. You're going to tell me that. You've got to crawl over Galatians 3 and 4 to do that. You've got to flat out deny it. You know what? Go ahead and just flat out deny it and expose you for the phony that you are. And just the Bible rejecter that you are, instead of calling yourself a Bible believer, that is absolutely ridiculous. And I can't believe we're still even talking about this. I really can't. Folks, the word's out. Okay? The word's out on this. People know. And I, and I have noticed fewer and fewer people are going to Genesis chapter 12. But they still go to other places. And a lot of people still are going to Genesis 12. I mean, uh, calling random pastors proves that. I mean, every time I hear one of these guys, I'm just thinking, are you living under a rock? Okay. And, you know, and I wish I could say, I wish I could say, have you ever read Galatians 3 and 4? But you know what, folks? I was there for a long time. I was. I was there. And I'm thankful that I got woke up Amen. to it. But I wouldn't have got woke up had it not been for certain people standing up and screaming and hollering about this and saying, hey, wake up, moron. I'm glad people did that. You know, and... You know, I think I, you know, I got in this thing pretty early, but I'm embarrassed at how long it took me. You know, I should, I, and, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. When I was a child, I distinctly remember this. I was sitting in my house. This was at 327 East St. Paul Street in Spring Valley, Illinois. We were sitting there in our living room having family devotions. And my dad read this passage to us. And I asked my dad, I said, do you think that we're descendants of Abraham? Because we seem very blessed. That's what I said. You know, and I later learned that, no, we probably don't descend. You know, we descend from Japheth. This doesn't apply to us. But as a little child, I knew it's like, we've got the blessing of Abraham. As a, as a little child, six or seven years old, I understood that. I had to unlearn that. Y'all, y'all understand that? You don't get dispensationalism from reading your, from reading your Bible. You don't get that the Jews are God's chosen people from reading your Bible. You get it from reading commentaries. You get it from listening to false prophets. That's where that comes from. Good night. I need, I need to get through the rest of this chapter. But folks, this is just this is so simple. It's so clear. It's so obvious. It's firing me up. I, should, I had it down when I was six. And I let go of it. it took me like another 30 years. Almost. To, to get it right. Wasted all that time. You know, not and it's sad. But let's go to verse four. Got to move on. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. So now, while this these verses right here. They might not really seem completely relevant right now, but it will be important to understand later, okay? Notice, so first off, 
in these stories that we're reading in the Bible, this is something you need to understand. It's going gonna, it's gonna to really help you later. We're not just reading. This isn't just Abraham, Sarai, and Lot. Y'all understand that? This is actually a group of hundreds, probably thousands of people that we're talking about. Okay, when you read the story, you know, you only really see three people named. But understand, Abraham, he was a leader of a people during this time. Okay, you know, he was a descendant of Eber, the Hebrews. And there was more than just Abraham here in the story. For example, look at Genesis 14 and verse 14. It says, And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, referring to Lot, this is after they had parted ways, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. So Abraham had 318 trained to fight servants. So understand, you know, there were a lot of people involved here. So when God's calling Abraham, Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees, this isn't just three people walking through the desert here that he's leading. This is a lot of people that he's leading. So more than like, more than likely thousands of people. And there's a lot of other stories that we're going to see later on in the book of Genesis where you just kind of picture only a few people being around, but we're talking hundreds and thousands of people that were actually around during that time. And, and so just remember that because it is going to, it is going to come into play later. So it says in verse six, and Abram passed through the land in the place of Sychem under the plain of Moriah and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Okay. Now, let me say again, this promise, it was never to a physical seed. Turn over to Galatians 4, verse 22. All right. Let me prove it to you this way. Say, well, it did belong to a physical people. Well, kind of. All right. Because let me show you a few things. So verse 22, it says, For it is written that Abram, Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory for these the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Okay? Again, no commentary on that. I don't need any commentary. It speaks for itself. But notice how it's when it's explaining this here, it mentions that it is written that Abraham had two sons. Okay? Abraham had two sons. Why did it bring that up? It's showing that this principle that he's teaching here is something that was there in the book of Genesis. Just like the gospel was in the book of Genesis. Okay, this principle, too, of the children of promise was there in the book of Genesis, too. And where was it? Because Abraham had two sons. Because notice, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham had no children when God gave him this promise. He had no children. But then what happened? He had Ishmael, didn't he? So if the dispensationalists are right that the land belongs 
to Israel, physical Israel today because they're Abraham's seed, then how come Ishmael didn't get any claim to it? He was Abraham's seed. Yes, after the flesh. But not a promise. God promised him a son, and the son that God promised him was Isaac, not Ishmael. God promised him a son from the free woman, not of the bond woman. And so Ishmael was not that seed. And in case you're slow and you don't get that, you know what God did? He did it again with Jacob and Esau. Isaac had two sons, didn't he? But does Esau get to claim the land? I dare you to go tell a camp meeting preacher that Ishmael and Esau have as much right, which is talking about Muslims, have as much right to the land as the Jews do. And watch them spaz out. No, Isaac was the child of promise. God picked him. Okay. All right. So Isaac got it by promise, not by blood. Well, you know what? That's what we claim it by too then. By promise, not by blood, not by the law. Yes. So right there, we see in the book of Genesis, just because you were of the physical seed didn't mean the promise belonged to you because Ishmael didn't get it. Esau didn't get it. And not to mention, we see thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews that God would kill during during the Old Testament. Why? Because they wouldn't believe him. They wouldn't follow him. We see God curse an entire generation when they uh, when they wouldn't go into Canaan. And God made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and he made all of them that were over 20 years old die with the exception of two guys that just happened to be of faith. I don't know, that's just a coincidence. The two guys that happened to be of faith, they actually got to claim the land because they were of faith. What about all those other ones? God, They were the seed of Abraham. God promised No, they were unbelievers. They were not of faith, and they didn't get to inherit the land. So understand, it was always a spiritual people. It was always a people of faith. And the reason they had it for as long as they did is because as wicked as Israel got, there was always a remnant of people there who were of faith. So it was never about a physical people. Ishmael is proof of that. That's what Galatians 4 is teaching us there. Esau is also proof of that. So while these promises did not apply to many of the descendants of Abraham that we see in the Old Testament, we know that it, does, it did apply to some, but it was because those ones were of faith. And we see many of them receiving different promises from God because they were of faith. We see many others that were very special. People like David. Was David of faith? You better believe David was of faith. You better believe these things applied to him. Well, you know, you're just trying to replace, you know, you replacement people. You're trying to take the blessing away from Israel. You know, you're just trying to take, hey, all of them that were of faith are getting their inheritance. And even the dispensationalists will tell you, people like Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and them, they're all in hell today. Are they, are they going to get resurrected one of these days and get the land? No, of course not. Nobody thinks that. Why? What was wrong with them? They were Abraham's, they weren't of faith. They were unbelievers. But it's like today that none of that, that all that goes out the window. And just because they've got a certain bloodline, they're going to want to just give them the land. And they want our country to fight to help them get that land. They want our country to give tax dollars to help them possess that land, to help them kill Muslims. Abraham's seed, according to the flesh, just as much as the Jews are. Y'all understand that. And, and think about this. 
If God's going to curse them, curse the physical descendants of Abraham, we are in huge trouble. You know how many Muslims our country has killed? I mean, a multitude. But that's not, that is not what it's about. And so, this is just another area where they mix, miss the mark. So look at verse 28, or verse 8 of Genesis 12. It says, And he removed thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. Now, something that I do, I have done, that no one else does. Okay? In my method of study, and how I put things together, remember... I believe in zooming out and getting the big picture, right? And that's what we've been doing through this, showing how this is all connected, showing how Genesis 1 through 11 was introduction to the main part of the story that starts here in chapter 12, where God chooses Abraham because God is looking for a people. Now, can anybody remember someone who did exactly what Abraham did that was before him? Notice what it says there again. It says, And he removed from thence into a mountain on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai in the east, and there he built an altar of the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Was that? No, before Abraham. No. Seth's descendants. After Enos was born. Genesis 4.26 And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, what have I been saying the whole time? I've been saying how God was looking for a people from the beginning. He chose Abel originally, but Cain killed him. And then he went to Seth, and it was in his line where men began to call on the Lord. They were the people of God. They were the sons of God. But then they went bad. They ended up intermingling with the wicked descendants of Cain and the whole human race went bad except for Noah and his family. And so God started over. God wiped the whole world out. So God takes Noah and his entire family. They're basically the people. But then over a couple hundred years, what are they all at? They're all at the Tower of Babel. Disobeying God, not doing what God said. So then what does God do? Now God goes to Abraham. And notice how Abraham, just like the sons of Seth did, he called in the name of the Lord. He did the same thing that they did. Why? Because God's about to start a people again. God's starting to raise up a nation again, and he's going to do it with Abraham. But you know what was special about Abraham? The reason God chose Abraham, and we're going to see this later, is that God knew that he would command his children after him. The, the generations before that God tried to use, they didn't do a very good job of it. It didn't last very long, very long. But God knew that Abraham, he was going to do it. He was going to command his children. And, you know, and he had Isaac, who was godly after him, and Jacob, who was godly after him. And, you know, Jacob had men like Joseph. And there were godly people in that line. You know, eventually they went bad, too. But, you know, they did manage to survive. There was always a remnant. And they made it until Jesus Christ came. And so God was able to keep all those promises. So, you know, God originally chose Abel. Seth took his place. In Enos' day, men began to call on the Lord. In the days of Enoch, sons of God go bad. God starts all over with Noah and his family. Noah and his family, the whole world goes bad at the Tower of Babel. But then God calls Abraham. 
to raise up a people in his name. So verse 9 says, And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And so while we've established why the Bible has focused so much on genealogies already, because these people all come to play a role later on in the Bible, here's something else you need to understand too whenever the Bible's talking about journeys. Because you see all that stuff, how he journeyed from this place, and you know we, we're going to see where Lot and he journeyed. And when we read all these things, it's real easy to get lost, especially when we don't know where those places are, really. Because, you know, let's just be honest. Most of us don't study the maps in our Bibles. Okay? Now, I happen to be interested in biblical geography, you know, but I never really was until I went over there. And then I, it, it got me interested in it, and I actually do pay attention to some of this stuff. But let me explain to you why this, this matters, okay? So, uh, uh, you know, so understand the reason that he's doing this is because this is not just a book about the raising up of a physical people, but it is also about the land that God gave them. That's another thing that we're seeing here in the book of Genesis. It isn't just about a people, but it is about a land too. That's a very important thing we need to understand. And this would have been very interesting to them because, you know, aren't, you know, aren't we often interested when it comes to maybe our descendants and where they came from? Physically, you know, I mean, how many of you ever, has anybody in here ever traced their lineage back and figure out who the first one was to come over to the United States? You know, that's always an interesting fact when it comes to your family. And you know what? You know, I would love to know, and I don't know, I would love to know where my descendants came from. You know, I think that would be interesting to know. And so the Bible, because it's recording how all these nations got started, it gives us the genealogies so we know who the people were, but it also gives us history of where they came from, the places that they lived, and the land that they possessed. So you see a lot of details about land in the book of Genesis, and, it's, and it seems like it's almost like a ran, real random story about how Abraham went through here, and Abraham, you know, we're going to see where he dwells in Egypt. It might seem like kind of a, a random thing, but all that would be very important to these people in their history. Kind of like, for example, too, something we can all think of that's a little more modern. Now, this doesn't really have anything to do with us, but the uh, the Oregon Trail and things like that. What do they call that trail that the Mormons took? You know, where they kind of went across the country. You know, they went and they were in Missouri for a while, started a cult there. Everything fell apart, and then they went to, uh, I forgot where they went after that, but they eventually ended up out in uh, Oregon or, uh, yeah, or um, Salt Lake City. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, and I remember watching some things about that a long time ago with the Mormon history, but you see all the different places they journeyed to. Uh, they spent some time in Missouri. I've actually been to one of those places before. Uh, there's a place in Missouri where they believe that uh, Garden of Eden was there. That's just stupid. All right. I don't know what else to say about that. And it's, it's really weird. But, you know, if you were a Mormon, that would be really interesting. You know, because that's kind of your history. So this, you know, really mattered to the Jews because of the fact that, you know, this is about their origins, where they started from, where they came from, you know, how they, you know, how they were kind of related to all these other nations. You know, that these things really mattered a lot. We are so mixed today, we don't even care, do we? We're such a mixed group of people, it's just too confusing. We just don't care. You know, and, you know, and, I, and I'm interested, but I really don't care. Uh, you know, if, if I found out that, you know, 
my descendants came from Ireland versus Scotland. I'm not going to be, oh, oh, well, you know, or if I found out they came from Sweden, I might be disappointed then. I don't know. But, you know, it's like, it, it doesn't really matter. Okay. I'm not defined by my ancestors. Okay. I, I, that, that's not me. So, you know, you can go ahead and insult any group of people you want. I don't get offended. Okay. If y'all, if y'all want to insult white people, do it all day long. I promise I won't get offended. I don't understand people who get offended when somebody, you know, bashes a race or something. All right. I'm not, I don't think we ought to go around doing that, but I don't get offended by that. You know, I don't know. Maybe if I was a minority in another country, it'd bother me a little bit, but I don't know. I, I can't imagine being insulted by that, but, you know, I'm not a snowflake either. But anyway, look at verse 10. So it says, and there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass that when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. So this is, again, showing another place where Abram sojourned. And again, this is not just Abraham. This is Abraham and all his house. This is thousands of people here. And I love what Abraham said after they go into Egypt. Abraham gets into Egypt, and all of a sudden he's looking at the women there, and he looks at his wife, and he's like, you know what, Sarah, I now know you're a beautiful woman. What does that tell you? It tells me the women of Egypt were ugly. That's what it tells me. And But it says, and after look, uh, so in verse 12, Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abraham was come to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So notice this story. It's, it's, it's telling us the story for historical reasons, just showing how you know, their forefathers, Abraham and his people, sojourned for a while in Egypt. But also, this is showing how God is keeping his promise to Abram that he will bless them that bless thee. And curse them that curse thee. And that's exactly what's going on with Pharaoh. We are seeing the fulfillment, or a, you know, part of a fulfillment, of what God promised in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham had special favor with God because he was a man of faith. And when Pharaoh goes and takes his wife, God curses Pharaoh and his house. Now, let me just say too, notice, I think this was kind of pathetic what Abraham did. I mean, he, he lied to Pharaoh. Hey, Pharaoh, I mean, you know, I don't think you ought to just go taking every woman that you see just because she's good looking or whatever, but at least he thought she was single. He thought she was available, but she wasn't. And God ended up plaguing his house because this was something that was bad for Abraham. And you know what? You don't mess with God's people. Hey, you, you just don't do it. And I'm the last, you know, I'm the last person that's going to go around prophesying doom and gloom for anyone who messes with me. Alright, I, I don't do that. Alright, I'm not Phil Kid. I'm not gonna go out telling stories about people that told me off and how they got hit by a car the next day and you know, you know they you know vomited on their own you know throat, you know, you know, just puke or something like that, or they or they choked to death in their own puke, you know, they 
I'm not going to tell all those stories like that because I'm just going to say this right now. When people mess with me, I don't pray curses on them. You know, I mean, honestly, I'm a little concerned for Rock Falls right now because I've had a lot of curses thrown my way, but I don't want God to curse our town. I'm not praying for curses. And, you know, I personally think I'm allowed to pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and ask that God bless our town anyway. I think I think I'm allowed to do that. And I personally think that if the Lord wants to, he'll listen to me on that. You say, why would he do that? Well, he did it for Moses. You know, when Moses, you know, when he interceded for the people of Israel, God stopped. And you know what? These people better hope I keep acting like Jesus and Moses. (laughs) Because, you know, Abraham, he didn't do the right thing here. Yet God still cursed Pharaoh for cursing him and for hurting him because he was God's child. And I do. I think if I wanted to, I could pray an imprecatory prayer on the people of this community. And I believe that the Lord, listen, I'm not saying this to threaten. I have no intention. I don't want to do that. I don't want our area to get cursed. I didn't come to start a church in this town. We're not going out souling this town just as a way to condemn people, you know, and, 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 you know, help them on a, get a fast track to reprobation. No, we actually want them to get saved. And we do. We want God to give us more time to, to win these people and to make a difference. And obviously the ones that are already there, the ones that are already long gone and reprobate, you know, I mean, I hope they drop dead. But, you know, most of the people are just sympathizers. They don't know any better. Most of these people are genuinely shocked at what we teach here. You know why? Because the other churches in this town are cowards. And some of them are just full-blown apostate and aren't preaching the truth. Okay? Now, we're not the only ones that believe like this, but we're probably the only ones being as mouthy about it as we are. And actually proclaiming it with a loud voice. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to cut these people some slack. I can see where they're probably shocked because I know what they're listening to. And this, I know the junk that they're watching on television. I know the jokes that we've got for pastors in this area. So I, I'm going to cut them a little bit of slack. And I'm just going to pray that, you know, the Holy Spirit will get through to them. Pray that we can show them the Scriptures on these things. And obviously, most of them aren't going to listen, but I do believe some people will. And I'm not going to go praying down curses on them. So, you know, we don't, we don't look at stories like this and just get all excited thinking, all right, I dare someone to mess with me. I want to see him get plagued. I, I really worry about that attitude when we have the crucifixion that we can read about. I really worry about that. And so I, I don't think we need to be quick to do that. Okay? I feel like it sometimes. I'll, I'll just be honest. I feel like it sometimes. But I'm going to tell you right now, when it's, when it's come to the junk going on this week, it, the one thing that has concerned me with this is I'm thinking, Good, you know, our town's wicked. And, I, and, you know, and my th- I'm thinking, you know, Lord, take it easy. You know, that's been my attitude. You know, if it's Chicago, you know, I, I don't care, you know. New York, you know, you know, you know, you know, I'm not trying to act like I'm like Christ, okay? But I think I'm a little bit like Moses when it comes to the people around here in our community. But I'm not always like that with the whole world. I, I need to work on that, but you know, well, at least I've got a good start. I care about these people. But anyway, verse 18 says, 
And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to be my wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. So they basically told Abram, you know, get out of here. They were scared of him. You know, I think they were scared of him because they understood that God's hand was on him. But they were angry at him too because he did them wrong and not telling them the truth and not, not letting them know what was going on. But thankfully, God was merciful and, you know, and revealed it to him before he's killing all of them because I believe that's what would have happened. And too bad the Pharaoh that came along generations later when they were in bondage didn't have that same attitude. You know, God had to go and bring all these plagues, you know, and pretty much destroy the nation to get him to do what this Pharaoh did after one plague. Think about that. The difference between this Pharaoh and the Pharaoh that came later. One plague. And he's like, I got I, I surrender, Lord. Get him out of here. But the Pharaoh that comes later during Moses day, ten plagues before he finally does something about it. And there's a reason God hardened his heart. And that's another subject for another day. But I think that's really interesting. So this chapter, it ends with Abraham leaving Egypt. And then the next chapter, what it's, what it's going to do, it's going to show the separation of Abraham and Lot. Okay? And again, when Lot went, it was more than just Lot. Okay? There, was, there was many servants. There were many people that were with him. But that was significant. The parting of Abraham and Lot was also significant because this was a separation of really one people that was kind of named by Abraham. But when Lot separated, they became two separate groups that eventually became enemies because we know that eventually Lot had the two sons and they became the Moabites and the Ammonites. So again... Abraham and Lot parting ways, that story, it's not just there so we can learn the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, even though God wanted us to know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, because it is a a reminder of the judgment of God. But it was also there, again, showing the history of their people and their enemies. So that would have been a very... Uh, significant story to them. Because think about it this way too. Wouldn't it be kind of an interesting story if historically, let's say in the United States, we were all just kind of one people from one family that we were all, that we all had in common and we're not like that in this country at all. But let's just say we were. That as a, as a nation, we were all kind of one people, you know, like one race. And then let's say one of the countries that we're enemies with, like, like Russia or something, all right? Let's say that Russia... Okay, they're a completely separate people, but if you go way back in our history and you go way back in their history, you find two guys that all the you have one guy that all the Russians descended from, another guy that all the Americans descended from, who were good buddies at one time. And you know, they were like best friends, and eventually they had a falling out with each other and they became enemies. And you had a fight, and you know, and now look where we're at today. You know, that would be interesting to us, wouldn't it? Because it would just be kind of a neat story, because that's kind of our history. And so, this story of Abraham and Lot parting ways would be interesting for the Ammonites and Moabites. It'd be interesting for the children of Israel, knowing that at one time we were all all kind of one people. You know, in reality, they're distant cousins. 
of the Moabites and Ammonites, aren't they? So can you, you can see when you when you put all those things into perspective, all of a sudden you start understanding why God put all these genealogies in the Bible, why God put all these facts and details about land and about where they traveled and sojourned and things like that. It all it all kind of comes together into one major story. And so each one, that's why every one of these things, we ought to pay attention to it. That's why I wish all these Genesis seminar people, I wish they'd pay as much attention to Genesis 12 as they do to Genesis 11 or Genesis chapter 6. Because y'all realize we're now getting into the good stuff doctrinally. This is now where we're getting into the stuff that really is about us. You know, that it, it, this is our history right here. Abraham is our father in the faith. So this stuff matters to us. This is We're just now getting into where we should be digging deep and finding all kinds of gems and, and jewels, figuratively speaking. And so that's what we plan on doing over the next week. But with that, let's pray. So dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you uh, just for the clarity of the scriptures. And dear God, we thank you for the blessings that you've given us. And Lord, it is a comfort to know uh, that that you're with us and that you're going to protect us. But Lord, I pray you'll help us uh, to have an attitude uh, like you do uh, when it comes to um, our enemies, that we uh, won't be praying down curses on them, Lord, but we'll be like Moses that will intercede on behalf of people. And Lord, we, we pray that you will save uh, our community and help us to reach out to as many people as possible. Lord, anything that comes our way, Lord, uh, we just uh, we're asking that you give our community a pass if it be your will and just uh, bless them anyway. We pray we can see many people saved as a result. Pray we'll see many people learn the truth about these things and that we, uh, we can make a difference for the good. In your name we pray. Amen.